Welcome back, everyone, to the Why Not Us podcast here on Spotify. Good to be back with my co-hosts, Josh Spaeth and Carter Yates. It's been a while since we've been back. Texas has been a little bit on a COVID pause on and off, but we're ready. We're excited to be back, and we got a lot of college basketball to talk about as we enter the winding down of the regular season, the month of February, where we find out if your team is for real or not. Let's start with our Texas Longhorns. They have had a little bit of a topsy-turvy couple weeks. Let's specifically talk about the game against Oklahoma, a game that featured 49 fouls. My God. Yeah, a lot of fouls. I'm not making that number up. There were a bunch of free throws. It was a sloppy game. Texas was missing some key guys. They lost a heartbreaker, 80-79. to Literally the only game they've played in the last week or two two weeks to be exact because of three games being canceled or postponed because of COVID. If you guys just want to talk about what went wrong in the Oklahoma game and is it a sign of concern going to uh, ahead of tomorrow's huge matchup that we'll get into in a few minutes. So this was a game where you've got no Courtney Ramey, your top scorer, no Jericho Sims, arguably your top big man, no Brock Cunningham, your hustle player. So off the gate, you know, Oklahoma's got a good advantage on you because they can just play everybody else you have on your roster. You've got eight scholarship guys. And What's, no head coach. And no head coach. Yeah. Forgot about that part. What's the one thing you can't do when you only have eight scholarship guys? Foul ridiculously. They had eight fouls in the first four minutes of the second half in a game that was pretty close throughout. And by the time that both teams were in the double bonus, it was really going to come down to, okay, who's going to miss their free throws? Who's going to come up clutch? And it didn't come down to really a last second shot. And there was a half court heave by Texas that just did not pan out with two seconds left. But this was a disgusting game. I think Texas was lucky to be in it. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that this should not be something that they worry about too much, considering that they were shorthanded, they didn't have Shaka, and OU is never an easy play. I was just a little disappointed by just the the sheer number of fouls were absolutely ridiculous in this game. Yeah, at this point, I don't really know, like, what is a foul and what isn't a foul anymore when I watch college basketball. But while I was a little frustrated with the amount of foul calls that were that were being called, I also don't think I'm not going to blame this game on the refs. I think Texas was putting themselves in bad situations and fouling, getting silly fouls. Like you talked about, Josh, when you got eight scholarship players, you got to play extra conservative. And I know their whole brand is swarming defense, but you got to game play a little bit. You got to be a little smarter out there. So. I mean, what I saw Matt Coleman at the very end of the game, you know, he's trying to battle through a screen and he trips up um, Austin Reeves, I believe is his name, uh, number 12 on OU. It's just a silly foul, fouled him out of the game when he's, he's their ice man. Like he's the guy who makes the clutch shots. They needed him in that game late. And he's, you can't fault the effort, but just a silly foul to have there. You got Greg Brown, who was just flying into the paint and just jumping over like three dudes' backs and then injuring his elbow, like getting foul calls. It just – it seemed a little unnecessary. Um, I, I think KT Hill, while he is going to be a great coach down the line, I think he will be a head coach at some point. I think he mismanaged this game a little bit. And a couple reasons for that. I think when he called a timeout – after Texas cut it to, I believe it was two or one, he called a timeout for them to get in their press break. Like Texas was on defense. I didn't think that was needed to, they need to be a timeout called there because then that, um, that wasted their last timeout. They had no timeout when they had to run that play with two seconds left. And then we put in a walk-on who's a former high school quarterback at the very end of the game. The guy hasn't played a minute his entire Texas career but hey come in in this big situation and heave the ball down court and it missed like wildly so but of course that's going to happen right the kid hasn't played in in ever so why are we putting him in that situation 
uh, with the game on the line. So I think there was a few times where Katie Hill uh, mismanaged the game a little bit. I think if they had Shaka, that would have been a huge advantage. Um, and frankly, I don't know how that game got played with the amount of guys Texas had out and the head coach being out. Yeah, and I think you guys make good points about the fouls. And I, watching that game, they made a lot of silly fouls, you know, 30 feet away from the basket that really cost them. And you have to be disciplined in a situation like this when you have only eight scholarship guys available. They had three guys foul out. If the game went overtime, they could have been down to three players because they had two players that had four fouls, and they only had five players left in the game. Greg Brown, as you mentioned, Carter, uh, Coleman, and Ham all three of them fouled out and you have to be disciplined because you're missing a big man in Jericho Sims this game. You cannot have your big guys foul out and they did. It really cost them. And you can't give Oklahoma as many free throws as they did because they're just free points at the line. They were one of the best teams in the country at shooting free throws. And obviously it's a disappointing loss, especially at home to your biggest rival in the conference, but it's hard to take away a lot of things from this game because of what they were missing. And, Obviously, as you mentioned, KT Hill's decisions down the stretch were a little questionable, but you kind of have to expect that he's never been a head coach before. So obviously a little disappointing, uh, but it's really good that they have everyone back. And speaking of having everyone back, they have maybe the biggest game that they have played since the NCAA tournament. Uh, their last appearance, I believe that was in 2016, 2017. 2018. 2018. Against Nevada. Against Nevada, yes, they did choke that game. I do remember, yeah. So biggest game since then, a couple of years ago. Baylor, top two team in the country, uh, top six showdown in the Big 12 Conference. Obviously, they, if they want any chance of winning this conference, they have to win this game. Um, they're allowing fans, which is very exciting. I think all three of us are trying to go, so hopefully it will be a lot of fun. Obviously, Baylor's big. They Similar to West Virginia, they play very physical, really good defense. They have a lot of different scoring options on this team. And they've been kind of the class of college basketball the, uh, this whole year with them and Gonzaga. And they just have so many different options. What is Texas going to have to do to stay in this game and possibly even have a chance of winning this game against a team like Baylor? I've got two keys for Texas to keep this game close. I'm not even going to mention the possibility of them winning this game on this podcast. To keep the game close – they need to, first off, have better guard play. Everybody's going to talk about the big men in this game. Texas has great big stars. Baylor does too. It's going to come down to whether or not we can contain Jared Butler and we can still score despite his defense. Because Baylor's defense is just as good, if not, at, if not better, than their offense. And our offense has been pretty good this year, which is – you know, something that I'm a little worried about because there could be a very strong possibility that if they're throwing different combinations at us and our guys are not passing the ball as much as they should or they're making sloppy plays, could lead to disastrous turnovers. And I, I really think that this is the kind of team in Baylor that they will take every single opportunity you give them and they will make something out of it, which means that for us to keep up, we have to do the exact same thing on the other end. No miss, no sloppy turnovers, taking advantage of good possessions, making the extra pass when you need to. It's going to be about patience, and that's, that's going to be huge with the guard play and who's leading the team in the backcourt. The other key point, what I'll go to with the big men component, is that we need to rebound a lot, especially on the offensive glass. And getting those second-chance points, getting those second-chance opportunities – that's going to be a great way for us to use our big play and try to match up very well against Baylor. And they got the exact same kind of things that they're going to pull on the opposite end. So on the offensive end, if we have guys crashing the boards, we don't have Greg Brown standing on the perimeter watching shots go by. He's actually getting in there and trying to get rebounds. Then that's going to be huge for us. Now that we've got everybody back, we're fueled up and ready to go. This is the prime time to give them all we got, and I'm excited to see what we have. If we if if Texas plays like they did versus OU against Baylor, it's going to get ugly really fast. I mean, Jared Butler is one of the best two-way guards in the Big 12, maybe even the nation. So I agree with you, Josh. The guard play needs to be good for Texas to keep this game close. When I look at Baylor, what I'm 
really just shocked at you looking at their season right now. I mean, one, they're undefeated, but then also they have ridiculous guard play. I mean, they've got four guys who are averaging in double figures and Jared Butler is the leader of them with 16 points. And I think he's leading the team in steals also. Another thing that would be huge for me is the foul trouble. And I know I don't want to beat a dead horse. We've already talked about all the fouls, but some of the fouls that Texas was committing versus OU, like I talked about before, it just that cannot happen against Baylor. They've got to pick and choose where they're aggressive a little more rather than just blindly, you know, going in and trying to get a rebound at all costs at all times. Like Royce Ham, I love his effort, I love his tenacity, but he was getting way too grabby with his hands. And when you gotta you gotta ease into the game. And, and figure out what the refs will let slide and what they won't. And it didn't feel like Texas adjusted at all against OU. It's like, it seemed like OU adjusting was like, hey, we know these refs are quick with the whistle tonight. So let's pull back a little bit, pick and choose our spots. It felt like Texas was just full steam ahead and couldn't switch it up. So I think they need to be smarter in terms of their foul trouble against Baylor. Yeah, and both of you guys make excellent points. Obviously, for me personally, I'm looking at two individual matchups. I'm looking at do-it-all point guard Jared Butler versus Matt Coleman. Matt Coleman, this is one of your moments. You're a senior guy. You're leading Texas. You know you haven't been this good in forever, honestly. You have to step up. You cannot commit fouls, as we've talked about. And you gotta you gotta contain Jared Butler because he literally does everything you ask on the court. Exceptional defense, leads the team in points, leads the team in steals, second in assists. I mean, does not turn the ball over, shoots incredibly well from three, 45 percent. You gotta contain him as best you can. You gotta hold him under 15 points, and you can't commit fouls because you don't have the guard depth, in my personal view, that Baylor does, as we've mentioned with Masio Teague and Davion Mitchell as well to compliment Butler. And then the other matchup I'm looking for is who's going to guard, if I can pronounce this guy's name right, Jonathan Chachua Chachua, the big guy from Baylor. He is a monster uh, down low. He averages eight points a game, six rebounds, but he's just a big physical body in Texas, obviously has struggled at times with fouls with their big men, especially Greg Brown all season is staying out of foul trouble because he's just so talented. You need him on the court as much as possible. I'm interested to see how the rotation goes with the big men, if they can stay out of trouble as well as Kai Jones staying out of foul trouble. So those are the two matchups I'm looking forward to the most. And then the game plan, I would say you got to play slow against this Baylor team. You got to drag out possessions as much as possible because when they get they get flowing. Their offense is exceptional. And they get in the defensive form. It's really hard to score on. And you cannot, as we've talked about, commit stupid turnovers, fouls, anything. You got to play a smart basketball game. And if it's close, last five minutes, anyone can win this game. Texas easily could pull it out if they can keep it close. I'm praying they can. We will all be there watching to see if they can do it. Obviously, this is one of those games. If you win, everybody is going to be talking about you. And next week on the show, we are all going to be so excited to talk about this team. I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm saying there's a chance. There is a chance, and that's all we can hope for. Tomorrow's game is going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be really close, and it should be a really good game. Obviously, no harm in losing, but hopefully we can play the way we played against a team like North Carolina earlier in the season. Yeah, Adam, I had a, I had a quick question for you. So you're talking about Jonathan Tachamwa. To Chachua, wow! That, sorry, I'm so sorry if he's listening because I just that name. So he's he's averaging you know six six rebounds a game, eight points, but he's only six eight. And if that's their big guy, you know, theoretically Jericho Sims has a physical advantage there. Do we think he can? He's going to take advantage of that. Theoretically is the right word. <laughs> yeah, we would hope so. I mean, there's games where he, sh- you know. Yeah, there's games where he obviously could be the better player and there's games where he doesn't show up. Hopefully it's the game where he shows up. Also another big guy that Josh just showed me, which I love his name, one of my favorite players in college basketball, Flo Thamba. He does not play a lot, has a great name, very similar name to Mo Bamba, Texas great. Um, But obviously, as you mentioned, yeah, Jonathan Tachua, whatever his name, as you pronounce it, only 6'8", but he's super physical, gets in on the boards every single possession. 
definitely a guy you have to stop. And Mark Vitale, I don't know how big he is. I know he's super aggressive, though, inside. Um, he's another guy. He's only 6'5", but another senior experienced guy that plays a guard, plays a 3-4 position, guy that we have to look out for. But obviously, you bring up a good point. Jericho does have the advantage. Hopefully, he's healthy, back from COVID protocols, and ready to go for the game uh, tomorrow. Um, hopefully, Texas can win. We will see. But let's transition to our next uh, segment. We are going to talk about the SEC Big 12 Challenge. That went down this past weekend, obviously a little different to get a little non-conference basketball in during the midway point of the season in uh, late January, early February. Obviously, Texas, their game got postponed or canceled, actually, because of COVID protocols at the University of Kentucky. So Kentucky actually really needed that when you could say goodbye to their tournament hopes and dreams. Um, let's go to probably the best game of the challenge, I think. Um, I'm going to mention three games and you guys talk about any of them that stood out for you. Oklahoma beating Alabama 66-61, Florida beating West Virginia 85-80, and Tennessee taking Kansas and throwing them into the river 80-61. Of those three games, what team impressed you the most and what team is obviously disappointing from a big 12 perspective because you know we're texas fans and we care about this conference way more than we care about the sec who's not very good i think the sec is all right well Well, it's all right it's fine i really want to talk about this kansas team because they have they've gone from a team that we were on this podcast going wow texas just wiped the floor with them to we are approaching maybe one day quad two win territory for that Texas win, even in Lawrence. I mean, I I know we've talked so many times about blue bloods on this podcast, not being as good, but Kansas out the gate seemed like they were going to be different to that difference to that. And of late down the stretch, they've lost four of their last five at Oklahoma state at Baylor at OU are all tough win are all tough losses. They lose. They they beat TCU by eight at home, which is a team that they won by twenty nine at a few weeks ago. So coming into this Tennessee game, and Tennessee's been a little shaky of late too. I, I had a good amount of expectation to be a bounce back opportunity for them, but they come extremely unprepared into this game. They're down by near double digits pretty early on, and they just don't find a way back into it. I mean, when you've got your guys like like Chris. Christian Braun, like not putting that much out. He's over four from the field. You got Oche Agbaji going three of 12 and one of eight from three. Marcus Garrett can only do so much to carry this team. I mean, you've got Jalen Wilson putting up a near triple double on the bench, but I mean, the team shooting 37% from the field, 25% from three, not to mention that their defense gives up 53% shooting from the field and 61% shooting from three. I mean, Tennessee played a near perfect game and Kansas had no answer for him. And I, I, I think that Tennessee is a good team, but I was expecting this to probably be one of the best games of the big 12 SEC challenge and Kansas did not show up. So in terms of how this looks for the rest of the big 12, I know Texas has another game against Kansas. Kansas still has a gauntlet of games that they have to get through through the end of the regular season, they are dipping into four, five, six territory fast. Uh, as much as this pains me to say who impressed me the most out of the Big 12, it's got to be Oklahoma. They come in after a huge win versus Texas. You could expect a bit of a letdown. They go through Texas, and then they've got to play Alabama, who sneaky was number nine in the country for me I mean I, I I looked at the TV I saw Alabama number nine I was like wait how did that happen so I mean I, they kind of snuck up on me for sure but they're still they're at, they're without Austin Reeves and starting guard Alondis Williams so the fact that Austin Reeves was out Austin Reeves is their leading scorer he really impressed me when he played versus Texas and they still get the win over a really solid Alabama team who's who's 14 and four right now. OU jumped from number 24 to number nine in the country. And now I think at the start of the season where Kansas, Josh, was maybe higher on our radar and Kansas now slipping down, I think lose Kansas, OU is now surging 
into that quad two territory. Um, so I think Oklahoma uh, is a very good team right now. I expect them to maybe cool off a bit. I think they might be peaking a little too early for me, but that's a really impressive win against a really solid Alabama team. Yeah, and uh, both teams, you make good points on obviously disappointing Kansas and really impressive win from Oklahoma. The team I'm uh, looking at is, I hate to mention them as well because I'm not a fan of this team, the Texas Tech Red Raiders, the way in which they were able to come back and win this past weekend against LSU. They were down seven points with one minute left. And not only did they win the game, they covered minus four and a half. They won by five points. Somehow, some way, they Matt McClung. He, I mean, he's the most annoying. He's like Grayson Allen, college basketball player um, since Allen. But uh, he was exceptional down the stretch. Hit a couple late threes in that minute span to give Texas Tech the win. I know LSU is not a ranked team. They're not. They're not a great team, but they're a fringe tournament team on the road. You're down seven, and you come back the way in which they did, and you win that game. Very impressive to me. Um, and then because of how impressive it was, because the week, the game before against West Virginia, they fell apart at the end. They lost by one point on the road, a game which they were winning the entire um, span of that game for about 38 to 39 minutes. And they lost by a, a basket then from West Virginia. And then you come back in a game, you know, that doesn't mean that much in the grand scheme of things, just for pride and resume sakes for the challenge. And you come back and beat LSU very much impressed me uh, personally. I thought the Big 12 underperformed per se. They lost the challenge five to four. Obviously it's not a big deal, but uh, a couple teams underperformed. Obviously Kansas is very worrisome. They are dropping fast. I have a good friend that goes to Kansas and he is finally sounding the alarm on this team. Uh, we will see where they go from there. Another Stepping away from the challenge, another very impactful game happened this weekend in the ACC conference. The Virginia Hokies, or the Virginia Cavaliers, played the Virginia Tech Hokies in a top ACC showdown. And Virginia Tech, my team to win the ACC, I know Josh is big on Virginia, killed them in the second half. They went on a huge run, winning that game 65-51. Virginia went... I don't know, a full decade without scoring in that game. Uh, takeaways from that game, Josh, and are you finally on the Virginia Tech train or are you still riding with Virginia? No, I'm still riding with Virginia. I just don't understand how, you know, it, it's – they Virginia Tech had a bit of a drought in the first half themselves. Um, you know, Virginia was up by a few and they closed out the half up by eight after – both of these teams couldn't put up more than 10 points in the last six minutes of the first half, which is not good, but a little bit more of the same happened when Virginia's up 47 to 44 with eight and a half minutes left. And they decide to not score for seven minutes. It's a bold strategy. And they only scored four more points in the game. That is how you lose double digit games. And you cannot lose to your in-state rival Virginia Tech who is trying to show that in a, in a year where there's no North Carolina, there's no Duke at the top ACC, these are going to be two of the top teams that play a massive role. Virginia's offense has been their calling card this year, that it's a, a new strategy they have. That they're actually going to score the ball and have more possessions instead of slow, disgustingly long possessions. But no, it doesn't happen in this game. You got your top guys that are not shooting the ball well in Virginia Tech played as well as they needed to. I mean, Kiva Luma put up 29 points and 10 rebounds. He absolutely ate them alive and was ready to come out and play, which I can't say the same for Virginia. Um, these two teams have to play again in Charlottesville, I believe. Um, do they play again? Actually, no, they do not. That is the only, only time they're going to play this year. But there will be more opportunities for Virginia to prove themselves, and I'm not fully off the bandwagon yet. Yeah, I'm not off the Virginia bandwagon. I, I think they still are the favorite to win the ACC. I like this Virginia Tech team, but I think it was just their night against Virginia. I think Virginia went cold a little bit, and I'm just looking at, you know, how they shot. They shot 19 to 52 for 36.5%. It's very hard to win a game when you're shooting that poorly. 
And Virginia Tech shot 50% from the field and from three-point range. You talked about Kibaluma. He had a great game, 29 points and, and 10 rebounds. He's turned into a bit of a double-double machine lately. So, But also, as I'm looking at you know Virginia Tech, who else is the guy stepping up other than Kivaluma? So the next highest scorer had 15. That was Hunter Couture. But other than that, everyone else was in single digits. So if Kivaluma isn't going to work on the glass and getting second chance points, who's your other guy? Who are your guards that are going to help step up other than Hunter Couture? I'm not sold on this Virginia Tech team making a, a strong push for the ACC title. I think this was a great game, but I'm still riding with Virginia. I think they are one of the best coach teams in the conference with Tony Bennett and I'm looking for them to make some noise later in this regular season. Yeah. And I think both teams are NCAA tournament bound for sure. I think they're the best cases to make a run in the tournament, maybe sweet 16 at best. I don't see any of these ACC teams going any further, but Virginia's inability to get to the free throw line in this game, three of four, obviously that's not enough free throws to win a game. Usually um, you got to get to the line. They're not creating easy shots. And obviously this team has struggled off offensively for the last five or so years under Tony Bennett. And that's been their, you know, um, Achilles heel uh, the past couple of years in the NCAA tournament. Obviously they did win the national championship, but in past years, this has been the problem and it's probably going to be another problem going into this year. But luckily for both these teams, the conference is horrible. So you can still string a bunch of wins together and have a pretty good record and get a decent seed come NCAA tournament time. And that leads us to our, my favorite segment. It's the bubble conversation. I like to call it bubble talk Give a couple teams. They are on the tournament looking in, looking out. We don't know. We're about to find out from our co-hosts here. Um, the ACC will start with that conference, and we'll name some notable teams. We'll start with the Duke Blue Devils. They are riding a few-game winning streak. Obviously, they haven't played that many uh, great quality competition games recently, but they just blew out a Clemson team that – has decided they want to end their season early. They are in a free fall right now. They got absolutely destroyed. They beat Georgia Tech uh, the other day, or a week about a week ago, and they play Miami tonight, who they should be missing a couple key guys. And looking at their schedule ahead, there a lot of potential for wins just because of the teams they play. They're seven and they're seven and five right now, I believe, which is not a great record for Duke. Obviously, their net rankings dicey at best they don't really have great wins what do you guys think is i mean they are duke so they have the prestige to get them over the edge and the schedule that is in their favor do you think they make the ncaa tournament i'll start with josh on this one schedule is in their favor key part of what you just said i i look at this schedule and i'm thinking two things at the same time one they only have a couple challenging games they have to go to nc state who is not an easy win. They play Virginia at home, which if they won that game, they would definitely be in. And then, of course, they've got two games against North Carolina, which nobody's talking about because neither of these teams have played up to the hype this year. First one this Saturday at 5 o'clock. Imagine this. You're a third, fourth best team in your power conference. You get a six or a seven seed. You have to play the Duke Blue Devils as a 10 or 11 in the first round, I would be scared out of my mind with the tournament experience this team has had. I think that Mike Krzyzewski looks at Roy Williams, who with not without COVID last year would have seen his team miss the tournament for the first time. in I don't even know how many years. And he says, I don't want to be like that. Duke will find a way to make it into the tournament. Yeah, I think Duke's going to make it in the tournament, not because I think they're a very good team right now, but just because of that schedule, like you're talking about. I mean, the ACC has been very disappointing this year. Of all the coaches who have handled COVID-19, I think Shostakovsky's handled it probably the worst out of everyone from, you know, just the excuse making he's had to going after a student reporter for asking an innocuous question. I mean, what a bad look that was I don't know if y'all wanted to talk about that a bit but 
Uh, I think he's handled it poorly. And um, I am not as big on Coach K being this awesome head coach who I'm going to be super scared of to see in the tournament just because I think he has been slightly overrated in past tournaments. I think they're going to get in, but I don't think they're going to make much noise. So um, I think it's kind of just a lost year for Duke, and I think they'll be back to being – you know, um, a very good team in the next few years, but I think this year has gone wrong in all the on in all the perfect ways. It's been a perfect storm for them, and I don't think they. I think they're a shell of their former self right now. Yeah, and you guys obviously make a lot of points that I agree with. I think this team will sneak in as a ten or a nine seed, honestly, just because of the wins they'll be able to string together because of the schedule. But I'm looking at two players in particular that will determine if this team can win one or two games in the NCAA tournament. I'm looking at DJ Stewart and Jalen Johnson, their two guards, to complement Matthew Hurden's scoring. They have been abysmal pretty much all season. Matthew Hurden's been the only sign of good basketball on this team and a reliable scorer that you can go to in close games. And if you want to win a game in the NCAA tournament or two, you got to have a couple guys that can compliment you in scoring and get big baskets down the stretch. I think Duke's missed that this year. In past years, they've always had a couple guys that they can rely on down the stretch, and they just haven't got the production that you would expect. So I'm looking at those two players that will determine if they will make any noise. I mean, I think Sweet 16 is their absolute farthest they can go this year, in my opinion. But uh, I do agree that they're probably a round one or round two exit if they don't get the production that I just talked about. Another team that we, as we transition to our next bubble team to talk about, a team from the Atlantic 10 Conference, the VCU Rams. Obviously, they are considered a mid-major, but they have a lot of experience in the NCAA tournament. They are battling a tough Atlantic 10 Conference where it pretty much cannibalizes itself on a daily basis and they have a good record they don't have that many quality wins they don't really have the that many bad losses and just looking at their schedule they play a huge game this Wednesday against the Rhode Island Rams who they have already lost to um, at home and you play on the road you do not want to get swept to a team that's 500 even though they are a lot better than their record is uh, VCU goes through a stretch where this will determine their NCAA tournament faith they go to Duquesne, they play Davidson, and then they play Richmond twice in a row. So we will see if they will make it. They're 12-4. and four. As of right now, I think they are in as the last four teams if it ended today. Do you guys think they can hang on to that spot come the end of the year? I'll start with Carter on this one. No, I don't think VCU can hang on to the spot, and that's because they're playing Davidson three times from now until the end of the regular season and they're playing Richmond twice. I think they're going to drop at least two to three of those games. If things go worse, they're going to drop four of them. I don't think they go through any of that road unscathed. And because of that, I, because of the conference they're in where it's just cannibalizing itself, I don't think they can get into the tournament. I think Davidson is a team that might get in over VCU. And I really like this Davidson team. They've got four guys averaging double figures right now. Um, And I think they're a very well-rounded team. While I like VCU, I think the schedule is just too tough. And I think they've dropped some games that they couldn't afford to drop. They couldn't afford to lose to Rhode Island. You know, I'm looking at who else they played. They couldn't couldn't afford to lose the same Bonaventure. So I think they – they messed up a few times. They stubbed their toe a little bit in the early part of the season. And it's going to come back to bite them now when they're going through their toughest stretch. 10 years ago, the 2011 NCAA tournament <laughs> to open the field from 65 to 68. Shaka Smart, coach of the VCU Rams, takes them out of the first four and into the final four. 10 years later, I don't think this tournament makes the first four. I don't think this team makes the first four. Really unfortunate. Would have been great as a commemorative opportunity. But there is a gauntlet that they have to go through down the stretch. And their next four or five games are hard. Closing the season against St. Louis. And then road games at Davidson and at Dayton in a conference that, like you said, 
everybody beats everybody. It's going to make it really difficult to see who the final teams are standing at the end of this and who the teams are that decide that they get to slip into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and I think this conference could only get one or two teams in just because of the cannibalization that's been happening all season long. I think these teams, though, if they get whoever gets in is battle tested and could make a lot of noise in the tournament. I'm calling St. Louis. I'm calling St. Bonaventure in particular as of right now as we hit the beginning of February. But another bubble team, another blue blood team to talk about, the Michigan State Spartans. They are kind of spy uh they're kind of going out of control here they're two and six i believe in the <laughs> big 10 conference they just got annihilated yesterday to the ohio state buckeyes they are in a territory that we haven't seen in a long time from this michigan state team and a territory where the committee does not put in teams that are significantly under 500 in your conference and it's not going to get easier for michigan state as they have to go through the gauntlet of the Big Ten. Do you guys think Michigan State can turn around the ship and string a couple wins together and sneak into the tournament? Or is this is this it for Michigan State? Is their stretch of games too hard down the stretch? So here's what I think about this. First off, they, they don't have a, a good win. Like maybe home against Rutgers, but then they went to Rutgers last week and scored 37 points. So that's not, not going to win you a game. I think the only way Michigan State makes the tournament is they need to pick up a couple quality wins. And they've got plenty of opportunities to do that in the Big Ten. They should be able to win games against Nebraska and Penn State. They need to win either at Indiana and at Maryland. And they also have a chance maybe at Purdue. But if you win one of those three games I just mentioned, you beat Nebraska and Penn State, and then you lose to Iowa, Michigan, Ohio State at home, that's going to be a good game for them. Play Iowa twice. I mean, of those, what, nine games I just said, if you go below 500 and your record then in conference is 6-11 and 11, and your record overall is – 12 and 11 enjoy the NIT. Okay. This, this team cannot score. As I mentioned, they scored 37 points against Rutgers. They don't have a go-to guy, which we, we, we sounded the alarm pretty early in this podcast. And it didn't seem like, you know, Aaron Henry, Joey Howes were going to be enough for this offense. Like I I'm really concerned that come down the stretch, they're just not going to have enough on their resume for the committee to say, this is a team we want to see in March. Yeah, yeah. People forget the Why Not Us podcast was on the front lines of the Michigan State does not have enough quality scorers to make a run at this NCAA tournament. Stick a fork in them. They're done. I think their upcoming schedule is too hard. I think they've got to play Luca Garza twice and it's going to get ugly when he gets a hold of them. And I think what's happened with this Michigan State team is they were counting on better contribution from Rocket Watts and Joshua Langford. Joshua Langford's a great story. You know, I think he's a fifth-year senior, and he came back from almost a year of injury, but he's averaging eight points a game to go with two rebounds and basically two assists. I think they were expecting more from him this season. I think Rocket Watts, you know, he's averaging nine points a game. They also thought he was going to be a little more dynamic on the offensive end. I think maybe next year, Rocket Watts is going to be a guy to watch and say, I think this guy can have a really good comeback year because I think he's got a lot of talent. I just don't think he's figured it out yet. But this Michigan State team does not have the alpha dog right now. And Aaron Henry, uh, Hauser, they're playing pretty good. They're leading the team in scoring right now. And I I don't think it's been enough. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I – their schedule, the upcoming schedule is way too hard for them to even get close to 500 in the Big Ten. If you're not close to 500, you're not getting in. So um, I don't know. This team's in a spiral right now. And I think part of that's due to COVID. They had like three straight games postponed, which threw a monkey wrench in their season. But that's also something you got to you gotta deal with. You got to adapt and overcome. I mean, everyone's having to deal with, with COVID-19 right now. So um, – I, I don't think they really have a shot to make it in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think they are 
done, as you could say. They unless they string a bunch of wins against some quality competition, they are not going to make the tournament. The last team that we'll touch on here uh, on the bubble talk or bubble conversation is the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers out of the Conference of USA. They are 13 and four as of right now. They have arguably one of the best wins a mid-major could possibly have on their resume. They obviously have a bad loss to Charlotte. They have a great win, as I just mentioned. It's against Alabama on the road, which is a quad one and then some win that really will weigh a lot come NCAA tournament time. They don't have, other than the Charlotte loss, their losses to West Virginia and Louisville, very understandable, both not at home. Um, Louisville, a true road game, West Virginia at a neutral site. And then they have a decent win at home against Rhode Island that could weigh some and a good win on the road at Marshall. Obviously, this conference, they play with fire so much, Western Kentucky. Every game it literally comes down to the last possession. They have a guy in Charles Bassey who's, I think, an All-American, who's a former five-star recruit out of high school. They have Tavion Hollinsworth, who's a senior guard that is really the anchor of this team. I think they have the talent. They could make a lot of noise in the tournament. But I don't know if they can get over the edge and get in as an at-large because of the way they play. They play so many close games. They're bound to lose some, in which they've already had. And they have two games where I'm looking at where potential losses could loom large is at North Texas in late February. North Texas is starting to play a lot better basketball and starting to be one of those top teams in the conference as we expected at the beginning of the year. Do you guys think Western Kentucky could avoid those quote-unquote bad losses down the stretch and get in as an at-large if they make a decent run at least into the Conference USA tournament come March? I think this is the best bubble team we've talked about in terms of it is very, very 50-50. I'll we'll pretend to be in a world here where obviously Western Kentucky doesn't win the conference tournament and get an automatic bid. So usually the game I like to play is what do they need to do to stay out of the NIT? So I think down the stretch, the only games they've got, they do the back-to-back system with four teams left at Florida Atlantic home against rice at North Texas and home against Florida international. The only team that really sticks out to me as a major threat in there despite Carter being really big on the rice wave, they've kind of fallen apart lately. North Texas is North Texas has been good. They've kind of gotten their, their game back together after a rough start. I think if you drop one of those games on the road, it's not the worst thing in the world. You still end conference play 13 and three going into the conference tournament. You're likely going to be a one or two seed. If you make it to the conference championship game, of the conference tournament and lose to UAB, I think they're still in. That win against Alabama is absolutely colossal. The fact that they played relatively well, I would say above average in the bad boy mowers invitational. I think that was huge to start the season. They've got a lot of non-conference schedule components that separate them from a lot of mid-major teams. And I think they're first four worthy if they do not win the conference tournament. So, um, if they don't win the conference tournament, you, you think they're in the playing games. And then if they win the conference, what seed do you think they're at? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think they're 12 playing if they don't win the tournament and 11 if they win their conference tournament. Yeah. If Western Kentucky wins their conference tournament, I am penciling them in no matter what, lock it in right now to the Sweet 16. I, like I, I really love Charles Bassey. I love the way he plays. He's a double-double machine right now, um, averaging 17 points, I believe, and 12 rebounds. But also, I like that they have Tavion Hollingsworth, Hollingsworth, who's also a senior. So Charles Bassey is a junior, Tavion Hollingsworth a senior. They've got, this, they've got the upperclassmen leadership that I like to see. And I don't mind that they're playing every game qu- close. You know, it, it gives them that practice of being in these close games. How do we handle this once the tournament comes? And I think they haven't peaked yet, which is kind of something I like to see. I think we're going to start to see them peak and maybe start to blow out some teams uh, later in this conference run. I don't think their conference is very good. I think they're going to win the conference. And I would like to 
uh, pencil him in for the Sweet 16 as a dark horse pick. Wow, I like it. I like it. Hopefully we could come back in mid-March and say that they made the Sweet 16. You were the first one to pencil them in for the Sweet 16, uh, Carter. I think a key thing that to monitor for them is – a team in the Memphis Tigers, which they picked up a win early in the season. If they could start going on a little bit of a run and make the tournament, I think that could loom large and pick up another quality win for Western Kentucky come tournament time. Obviously, as you mentioned, Carter, the conference quality wise is not great, but the competition is very similar. There's always super close games. I think you have a couple good teams in UAB, North Texas, um, you also have Marshall, who's decently good, and they have that loss to Louisiana Tech, who's a 14-win team at the moment. You have a couple good teams in this conference. I think it's going to be very hard for Western Kentucky to win the conference tournament, but their schedule is in their favor right now to do really well down the stretch in the month of February. I am, as you know, a huge mid-major fan. I hope they get in because they are very talented. They could definitely win a game or two come the tournament time. Now, uh, switching uh, gears a little bit. Let's talk about the SEC conference a little bit and talk about how many teams can get into the tournament. Obviously, a big weekend for them. They played very well in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, picking up some key wins. Missouri surviving against uh, TCU. Florida picking up a huge resume win against West Virginia on the road. How many teams do you guys see the SEC having? Obviously, Kentucky is probably not one of those teams. I would say I've got four locks, obviously, in Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, and Missouri. Florida made themselves a lock with that win at West Virginia. That was huge. Arkansas is just about there as a fifth. If they had that win at Oklahoma State, that'd be good, but they don't have any bad losses. All of their losses are to good teams. They just don't have any quality wins. They can score a lot of points, so they'll have some time to make, make up for that in, down the stretch. LSU is a bit of a questionable team for me. Um, they've got a loss early in the season to St. Louis. They've lost to Florida, Kentucky, Alabama, and then that game against Tech that we talked about. So once again, another team that doesn't really have any quality wins. They beat Arkansas, but I, I don't see a lot out of them. I think if they could pick up a win against Alabama, Florida, or Tennessee – do relatively, relatively well in the conference tournament. They'd probably be good in there. After that, there's not a lot of meat in this conference. We've talked about Kentucky, probably not going to make it just based on record alone. Auburn with Sharif Cooper has flashes of they, lightning. They are also banned from the tournament. Auburn's banned? Yeah. NCAA, Bruce Pearl? Yeah, NCAA violations. Then, then there you go. Then, <laughs> then that's all we can really get out of the SEC is five, maybe six teams from what's usually one of the premier conferences in college basketball. Mississippi State's a team that's talked about a little bit, but I, I, they don't have enough. So I'll, I'll go with five, maybe six. I think there's going to be four. I think it's going to be Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, and Arkansas. I really like Alabama to possibly make a deep run. I think the fact that they're 9-0 and in their conference is a testament to uh, – the SEC is still a, a good conference, and I, I, I know I'm only picking four teams to go in, but, you know, I think they also suffer a bit from cannibalism. I mean, Kentucky's 5-10 and overall, but 4-4 four and four in the conference. So, what? Missouri Tigers. What do you think of Missouri? I don't think I don't think Missouri's gonna gonna win this. Co- I don't think they're gonna get in the NCAA tournament. I think they're gonna be wow. the best NIT team there is. Wow, a bold take. <laughs> Carter is known for his bold takes, but that is that's a big, one. That's yeah. a big one. I just don't. I I don't. I haven't seen enough from Missouri. I don't think uh, they are going to make it into the NCAA tournament. Let me look and see who they're gonna play these next few weeks. Yeah, I mean, in this take, if you're really behind it, I'll absolutely give you the opportunity to look at their schedule and, and say otherwise. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at their schedule right now. Okay. Well, I think what's going to happen is so February 13th is going to be a huge game. It's going to be Missouri, Arkansas. I think the winner, let me walk back this take a little bit. The winner of Arkansas, Missouri on February 13th takes the spot in the NCAA tournament. I think that is going to be a huge game. 
And I think Arkansas will win that game. I've seen them play Tennessee very tough. I think Arkansas is a very underrated team. Uh, I don't know how they are not ranked in Missouri is ranked. Um, but I think that will be the game. And I also think that Missouri will not beat Alabama. I think they're going to struggle with Kentucky uh, tomorrow night. And they also have to play Florida at the very end of the season. So let me walk back the take a little bit. I was a little premature. I'm going to go February 13th. Whoever wins that game, Arkansas, Missouri, is taking the other spot in the NCAA tournament. Well, I mean, I think Missouri is not a lock, but I think they're pretty close to it just because of what they did in the non-conference portion of their schedule, beating Oregon. They have a win against Illinois. Uh, they also beat Tennessee on the road. Um, I, they would have to kind of just self-destruct a little bit. But of the conference, I think Bam, Alabama, Florida, and Tennessee are locks to make the tournament. And then it kind of gets into – scary territory for a team like Arkansas that has a nice record to its name. They don't really have that many quality wins looking at their schedule right now. They don't have a win that stands out to me in particular. They could have used one this past weekend against Oklahoma state. They did not pull that one out. Uh, Their best win is probably on the road against Auburn, but other than that, they don't really have that many wins. So I don't know if our Arkansas is honestly going to get into the tournament. You mentioned that February 13th game. That is a huge game for them. That is probably their second hardest game left on their schedule uh, to get in other than Alabama at home. So we'll see if Arkansas can sneak in there. LSU is a interesting team as well. They have a decent record. They don't have that many quality wins either. They could have used a win at St. Louis early in the year. Uh, they could have used a win against Florida on the road. They just have not been able to get that marquee win. They could have used one this past weekend if they didn't choke the game against Texas Tech. But LSU and Arkansas are interesting cases. They don't they have good records, but they don't have quality wins. So I think maybe one of them makes the tournament. So I think you get five out of the SEC. That's being op- optimistic, but we will see. Uh, one more conference to talk about before we hit the game to watch for you guys this weekend, the Mountain West Conference. This is a conference that is revitalizing itself in a way. Last four or five years, they have not done much. They've given one team in the tournament usually every year. Uh, it's been San Diego State, Utah State combination, maybe Boise State in there once. Um, but they got five teams in about – six years ago uh they're on track to get i think at least two they have a possibility of three and an outside chance for four your guys' perspectives do the does this conference get three or four teams in the tournament or do you think they will only get one or two i'll start with josh on this one this is going to be a really interesting stretch so let's talk about each of these teams here so boise state so far They've looked great. They had a, a tough loss at the beginning of the year at Houston. They went into Mormonville and beat BYU in early December. And then in conference play, they're unscathed with the exception of a 22-point loss to Colorado State in Fort Collins that they went to two days later and beat them by eight. And I'll get to Colorado State, but they're really good. Down the stretch, they've got Nevada on the road, UNLV at home. That should be 4-0 right there. Home against Utah State at San Diego State. That gets trickier. Utah State, kind of talking about them a little bit. They're, I I don't see a go-to for them. You know, obviously everybody loves Nemius Keita. They've got the wonderful Brock Miller as well. But they're not a high-scoring, flashy team. They kind of just play solid, and sometimes they – don't pull out a win. And they've got a bad loss to South Dakota State at the beginning of the year. This Utah State team could, you know, potentially lose both of their games at Boise State, not pick up another quality win that they need, and be dropped from contention. Then we have Boise State at San Diego State. I know Adam here is, you know, San Diego born and raised, absolutely loves the Aztecs. And this team has put together a good stretch of wins after back-to-back losses against Utah State. But that is going to be a really 
tough stretch of games. I think they're probably going to go 1-1. And because of that, Boise State's a basic shoe-in for the NCAA tournament. But so San Diego State, down the stretch, other than that Boise State series, has nobody to play. They've got New Mexico, San Jose State, and Fresno State. They should win all of those games if they want to make the tournament. And if they do that and they go one-on-one against Boise State, then they've only got five losses in foreign conference. I could put them in there too. But let's talk about Colorado State for a second, all right? Because they just gave Boise State their only conference loss. This team is flashy. They are what I'm looking for. David Roddy, I watched him play against Utah State. I think that they win both of those games against Utah State. No, they went one and one But it was at Utah State, so it's still really impressive. I watched the entirety of their game that they won at Utah State, and David Roddy impressed me so much. Okay, this guy was recruited out of high school as a quarterback, decided to go to Colorado State to play basketball. He's from Minneapolis, puts up 16 and nine, but he's like Brock Cunningham. If Brock Cunningham had the shooting and rebounding prowess to add to the hustle, this guy will go after everything. He sets up his teammates really well. He gets three assists a game. He's just a leader. And this team will play you hard and they will not lose to you twice. So they don't really have anybody that's tough coming down the stretch. I mean, going to Nevada in late February is going to be kind of rough, but I think those three teams, Colorado state, San Diego state, Boise state, I could easily see all three of them getting in. I think one of them will likely have to be a plan just for the sake of fitting them all in. But if they can win their games they need to and not pick off a, a win or two off each other too much and then all advance pretty far into the conference tournament, I, I could definitely see them all in. And that'd be very exciting to see how they play out. Adam, you're either going to love this or hate this because I've had some scalding hot takes today. But I think Boise State is in. Utah State, Colorado State, one of them will be out. I don't know which one it'll be, but one of them's going to flounder and one of them's going to get knocked out early in the conference tournament. And I think San Diego State is making the tournament. And I think there'll be three teams in from the Mountain West Conference. I think San Diego State has unlocked something after they had two straight losses to Utah State. I mean, they're just blowing out people right now. They're on a four-game win streak. And like you talked about, Josh, their schedule I don't even know if they play a team over 500 uh, to end their season. They might. Let me let me actually go back and double check. I can look at their schedule right now. But Fresno State is seven and six. Seven and six. Okay. So, oh, and actually, they play Boise State at the very end. So, oops, yeah, my yeah. bad. They play a 14 and two team twice. If they can win all of their games before that, before that two two game series against Boise State, and then they can go one and one versus Boise State. I think they're in and I, I I would be very excited to see them in the tournament. I really like Matt Mitchell, their, their senior forward. It, when I was watching versus BYU uh, and I know that was a while ago, but he, you talk about with a lot of great players, like the killer instinct, right? And I know that's kind of become a meme or whatever, but Matt Mitchell like has it and I've seen it. I've seen him unlock uh, a new dimension of his game in crunch time. And I think you need guys like that in the NCAA tournament to have a chance. I think Texas has some guys like that with Matt Coleman. Uh, you know, I think other teams, like I think Baylor's got that with Jared Butler. And I think San Diego uh, State has that with Matt Mitchell. Like I said, they need to win out before Boise State. There is not a question about it. They need to win out and then go one and one. That's your path to getting in the tournament, but I think they can do it. Yeah, and I think starting from the worst team with the chances to get in the tournament, Utah State, I think they have one path only, and that is to win every game except Boise State, pick up one win, go to the conference finals, and lose to either Boise State or San Diego State, but you pick up a win against either of those teams in the semifinals, and maybe there's a path for Utah State. I think San Diego State has the third best chance just because they have to, as you, you mentioned, they have to go undefeated against, no offense, inferior competition. Hopefully they can do it. Uh, Matt Mitchell's been huge. He got hurt um, in that Utah State series, did not play. That was a 
huge loss for them, which I'm hoping the committee will look at as he was not there for those games. So hopefully they'll take into account, help their uh, resume come tournament time. But you go one one against Boise, you go to the conference finals, you pick up another quad two probably win against either Colorado State or Utah State in the semifinals or possibly even Boise. You make the finals, I think State will get in. Colorado State's an interesting case because they don't really have a bad loss on their resume. They have four losses overall, one at St. Mary's, which is totally fine. And they split series with Boise State, Utah State, and San Diego State. Those are all quad one wins that they have to their names because of just how good this conference has been this year. I think Colorado State also has the easiest schedule left of the four teams. They do not play any of those teams the rest of the way. Or obviously, as Josh mentioned, hardest games are against Nevada on the road. You win at least one of those games on the road against Nevada. You don't lose to anybody else. I think they're going to get in. And then Boise State's obviously in the best position. I think they would have to kind of fall off. But they do have the hardest schedule of the four teams left. So it'll be interesting to see how they play. I think a team to watch out that could be um, kind of detrimental to the conference's chances is Nevada. I think they're capable of beating these teams. And obviously, they're not good enough to get in as an at-large they're going to be the team to watch out for to see if they can upset some of the top teams in the Mountain West. But I think at the end of the day, the Mountain West will get two into the tournament. One will just miss. I'm hoping that two is Boise State, San Diego State, but it easily could be Boise State and Colorado State. So we will see, hoping my Aztecs can pull it off. But obviously Matt Mitchell being back is a huge plus for them. As we hit the last part of our podcast, I want to talk about Games to watch going into this week that we could obviously talk about on next week's show. What is one game that you guys are looking out for as we hit uh, this big week, first week of February into conference play? I'm going to go with an absolute colossal Big Ten game on Thursday night. Ohio State has arguably the biggest challenge they've had all year. When they go to Iowa City and play the Hawkeyes, I think these teams match up pretty well. I'm not entirely sure I agree that Ohio State should be ranked higher than them and at seven right now, as much as I thought, you know, beating Michigan State and Penn State and at Wisconsin, those were all high quality wins. But this team, this is a team that we've talked about a number of times before on the podcast. They have the ability to put up points in bunches. Their defense is a little questionable. If they can win this road game against a tough team, like they have against Illinois, Wisconsin, then it's going to be tough for Iowa. And we didn't talk that much about Iowa's game against Illinois, but that game really showed that if you can hold everybody else to not a lot of scoring and you can contain Luca Garza, especially on rebounds, that they're beatable. So, you know, the top of the Big Ten is great, and I'm excited to see how it unfolds. I'm looking for Wisconsin, their starting five of 30-year-old men, to kick off one of the hardest stretches in February and March out of any team in college basketball when they play Illinois on Saturday. So out of their last their last few remaining games, they're having to play number 12-ranked Illinois, number four-ranked Michigan, number eight-ranked Iowa State. They got to play Illinois again. And then they finish off in March playing Iowa and Purdue. Purdue is also ranked now. This stretch, and I believe this first game that starts off the stretch against Illinois is really going to determine if Wisconsin can make the NCAA tournament. I think they're a very good team. I think they're experienced, but they've also had some very bad losses so far that they couldn't afford to have before going into this stretch. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how they can play against Illinois. Because uh, I think this is really going to set the tone for the for their season. And it's going to determine whether they get to the NCAA tournament or they're literally the best team in the NIT. Yeah, I think my game uh, that I'm looking out for, obviously, usually gets a ton of hype, as we've talked about, is a game that could decide who's in, who's out of the tournament. A huge bubble game. Crazy to say that. It's Duke and North Carolina, obviously, one of the most historic rivalries in all of sports, but especially in college basketball. 
be very interesting to see what happens between Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams teams. I think both of them really need a win and it will count as a quality win, no doubt. And I think it's going to come down at the end. There's been so many great moments in this rivalry over the last, however many years they've played. I think it's going to be another memorable game that comes down the end, maybe a last second shot as we saw last year with Cassius Stanley hitting uh, the game-winning layup against North Carolina. I think it's one of those games. I'm very excited to watch it. I'm hoping – I don't know what I'm hoping because I don't like either team, but it, 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 the team that loses is not going to be in a good spot for the NCAA tournament, and that is what gets me excited. So I'm. So we'll see what happens in that game. A lot of great games coming up. I want to thank Josh and Carter, as always. Great co-hosts. Great analysis, almost as great as mine, honestly. You know, <laughs> give them all the credit in the world. Um, a lot of fun being back. Texas monster game against Baylor tomorrow. Tune in. That game's on ESPN. All three of us will be there. We'll be back next week to talk about all the great college basketball games. And let's hope and pray our Longhorns can pick up the best win of the season. We will see you next week.